and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I know that people have heard this, and it's harder to take something that people think they know and teach it than it is to teach something that people don't know. And so uh, I really am trying to get it across that even though we say we know we're in a spiritual battle, the truth is much of the time we relegate things to luck and to fate and you don't understand I never had this and I was abused when I was a kid and we blame it on anybody and everybody else and we don't recognize that it's a spiritual battle. It, there are usually... Well, let me say every time there is some spiritual background to what's going on in our life. Now, it may, be, it may not be totally spiritual. Like, for instance, if you're sick, uh, I think that Satan ultimately is involved in that somehow, but a lot of it might be that you're just abusing your body. Man, if you aren't eating right and if you aren't exercising and you aren't doing some things, you're going to have some problems. Somebody's 50 pounds overweight and they got back pains, I would imagine that you probably have back pains because you're 50 pounds overweight. But there's even spiritual things involved with that. Why are you 50 pounds overweight? It's because Satan has deceived you in an area and you aren't taking care of your body and stuff like that. So there's a combination. You can't always say that it's just 100% spiritual, but at the same time, many times, we just totally ignore the spiritual realm. Most people, they go towards the doctor, they go towards the natural ways of dealing with things, and they're trying to solve things that have spiritual roots with physical problems, I mean with physical means. And even though you can affect it, maybe delay it or put it off, you can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical means. So anyway, there are a lot of spiritual things going on in our lives that many of us just don't recognize. There is a battle. And I, I made a big emphasis on the fact that God has a purpose, a perfect plan for you, a purpose for every single life. And according to the Word of God, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a good plan. God has never made a bad plan for anybody. If your life is not going good, if your life isn't just wonderful so that you're thanking and praising God for the good things that are going on, I can promise you it's because Satan has another plan for you, which is to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan has gained the dominance and the authority in your life. It's because there's a battle going on. And then last night I spent quite a bit of time talking about, even though this is true, when we're in a war and we've got an enemy... The reason Satan is overpowering people and the reason Satan is prevailing is not because Satan has some superior power, it's because he deceives us and actually Satan actually gets us to defeat ourselves. We are the ones that have the real power. Satan has no power to stop God, he has no ability to stop God, you are the one with the power and so Satan comes and tempts you. And through your actions and through your thoughts, through your way of thinking, you are the one that actually empowers the devil. That usually goes over about like that. You know, Christians have gotten to where they love to use the devil as, an, as a scapegoat. As, you know, someone to like, well, the devil is doing this to me and the devil is doing that. Well, sure, the devil's involved, but I tell you, the devil has no power in your life unless you empower him. You know, when I first, and if you'll listen to this, this will help you balance some things. When I first got turned on to the Lord and realized that there were demonic powers um, I mean, there is no uh, manual for this that I was aware of. Of course, later I began to study the Word and found out that there was a lot about it in the Word. But I mean, I'd never learned about it in the Baptist church. And when we started talking about demons and spiritual powers, it just, it was, it immediately got you kicked out of churches. So you had to be careful what you said. And we had a woman that we had led to the Lord, and this lady flipped out 
and came home from work. Actually, while she was at work one day, she just flipped out. She didn't know who she was, didn't know what her name was, didn't know where she was, didn't know anything. And while she was at work, somebody came up and said, Debbie, I'll meet you at 4 o'clock at the car to take you home. So she knew that her name had to have been Debbie, and she knew that this person knew about her, so she just kept her mouth shut, went home with them. When she got to the door, she looked through her purse and found a key, and it opened the door. So she went in, and we just sat there. And she didn't show up to church one night, and so we went over and found her. And she's just sitting there, didn't know who she was. She's out of her mind. And anyway, we knew that it was demonic. We, it's a long story, but anyway, the Lord, we just knew it was demonic, and we knew that if we took her to a doctor, they were going to put her in a padded cell, and we'd lose her. And so we didn't know what to do. We had never heard of anybody dealing with demons. We didn't have a clue. But we just said that, man, we're bound, to, with God's help, we're bound to be more effective than somebody that's going to stick a needle in her and just give her something. So we locked her in a room, and for seven days, we just, we didn't know what to do. We sat there and sang songs about the blood and just beat the devil out of her. I mean, not physically, but she just would hate it and scream, no, I hate that. And she took three of us one time with one hand. A woman took three men and threw us over her head and across the room up against the wall. This woman, it was just unbelievable. We saw demonic stuff we had never seen before. We were in there. <laughs> we were awestruck by those things that were going on. Anyway, in seven days, we saw 17 demons come out of her. And this girl got free and got set free. She was more man than she was woman. And God changed her and delivered her. And she became real feminine. And uh, Anyway, it was awesome. So in the church, reputation began to spread. And before you knew it, we started having people come to get delivered. We started seeing things happen. Miracles started happening. People were getting delivered from drugs. And I mean, instantly coming off drugs like that. And there was no withdrawal symptoms. There was nothing. And so people started coming. And before we knew it, people were coming to us for deliverance all the time. And the bad thing that happened here was that we started seeing success. And it made us so conscious of the devil that we got too devil conscious. And I remember that I used... Man, when I became aware that there was demons and that spiritual powers were... Uh, controlling a lot of things. I got to looking at every person. And boy, if they had a twitch, if they had anything wrong with them, I just was convinced it was the devil. I was looking for a devil on every doorknob. And I got to where I was rebuking the devil all the time. And one day it dawned on me that I was spending more time talking to the devil every day than I was talking to God. <laughs> I was binding this and casting out that. And, and you know what some of the effects of it were? that I had a number of things happen. I rented this house, and we were going to start what we call the Arlington Christian Center, and we were going to bring in people off the street, people who are having drug problems, alcohol problems, anybody just needed help, and we were going to bring them in and just stay with them. And anyway, we were cleaning this house out. It had been a, fr a fraternity house at the college, and we were cleaning it up. I was up there one night about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I had these demons actually manifest themselves and start fighting me, physically fighting me. And I mean, they started beating up on me and choking me, and there was nobody there, and yet physically somebody was just beating the tar out of me. And I, so I ran out of the house, locked the door, got in my car, put it in reverse, and I was just getting ready to go and drive and lay rubber and get out of there, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and he said, he reminded me in Ephesians chapter 6, those scriptures we read yesterday morning, he says, did you notice that there's no armor for the back? <laughs> the breastplate of righteousness and all this. And he says, you turn your back on him, you're in big trouble. And I said, God, you would not want me to go back in that place. <laughs> and you know, after he said that, he didn't say anything else. It's kind of like, it's all right, you're on your own, I told you. So anyway, I wound up 
going back in that house and for two or three hours fought these things and, and finally overcame, quoted every scripture I know. And during that same period of time, I had a couple of dreams. And in one of them, I was just uh, talking to this guy. We got to goofing around, pushing each other, and got into wrestling. You got to remember, I was 18 at this time, and we were just wrestling and playing around. And then all of a sudden, this guy got on top of me and turned into the devil, and he was jamming his fingers into my mouth like this, hit me in my teeth. And man, it was hurting, and I was rebuking him, and I threw him off of me, and I woke up and thought, oh, it's only a dream. And boy, my, my mouth was hurt and went and looked in the mirror, and I was bleeding. I'd had something affect me. And anyway, I had two or three dreams like that. I started dealing with these demonic powers. And uh, anyway, it's a long story. There's a lot of other stuff. I don't want to glorify the devil. But the point that I'm making is I got to wonder, God, what's going on? And this is when the Lord showed me that you are actually empowering the devil by the focus that you have on him. You're glorifying the devil. You're more concerned about the devil and more aware of his power than you are mine. And when I realized that, I just refused to spend all of my time talking to the devil and rebuking the devil. I just said, man, if I can't take care of these things by seeking God, and the Lord gave me a lot of other things, I used to talk to demons and ask them their name, which is ignorance gone to seed. good friend of mine, he was casting a demon out of a person one time, and he says, what's your name? And the devil said, liar. And he says, are you telling me the truth? <laughs> oh, man. We used to ask them their name. We used to go through this thing. We had a, we had a group of us. See, we read this book, Pigs in the Parlor. I don't know if any of you ever read that. Man, that'll ruin you. And it had maybe some truth in it, but it was just a lot of junk in it, a lot of psychology, a lot of things that are contrary to the Word. And you had to ask them their name. You had to have groups of two, because if you weren't in two, they could overcome you, and you'd get demon-possessed, and all kinds of stuff had happened. And so anyway, we were trying to minister to these people. We had a guy that was a homosexual that we had been meeting with for three weeks, prepping him for this deliverance and telling him about what he needed to do. I mean, you know, actually, we got a group in Colorado Springs that cast demons out of people, and they have a 45-page form you have to fill out before the deliverance, and it takes up to 45 days to schedule an appointment and get these demons cast out. I just wonder how Jesus ever did, got it done, amen, <laughs> without all of it. But anyway, we were leaning that direction, and this guy came to a... This, remember, this is a Baptist church. This guy came to a Baptist church, and he came with another homosexual, and they both came to get delivered. And he came to ask me to cast these demons out. And the guy that was doing this with me, the associate pastor of the church, he was gone to a conference somewhere, so it was just me. I was the only other person in the whole church that believed in what we were doing. It was just the two of us. And so I went out and talked to this guy, and I said, I'm sorry, uh, this other guy's gone. And I said, I'm not going to cast these demons out by myself. And he says, well, I'm not leaving here with these demons. And I said, well, I'm not casting them out. And he says, well, you better do something. They're coming right out here in the church. And I said... I said, well, let's go into this back room. So we went into this back room, and... And I said, look, I'm not doing this by myself. And he, he, he fell on the floor and got to writhing like a snake and hissing and then barking like a dog. And these demons just started manifesting themselves. And so I didn't know what to do. So anyway, it looked like I was already in it. So I just said, 
I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to tell me your name. And one would tell me your name. And then another one. And it was just confusion. I felt like I was being made a fool of. And I didn't know what was happening. This other guy who was a homosexual, there was a stack of chairs about this high. He was up on top of these chairs, up against the wall like this. His eyes were big. He was no help whatsoever. <laughs> this happened. I was 18 years old in there doing all this stuff. So I started talking to all these demons, and man, they were mocking me, and it was just stupid. And finally, the Lord quickened the scripture to me, and it says that he, he commanded them to hold their silence and to come out, hold their peace and come out. And I just thought, well, I'm going to try that. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command all of you to shut up and come out of this guy in Jesus' name. And he just went limp, looked like he was dead. And I went over and shook him, and he got up and started praising God, and he said, I'm free, I'm free. And I thought, man, why hadn't we done this before? <laughs> And I decided right then that no more of this talking to the devil, no more glorifying the devil, man. If I was just going to get him out. So anyway, I, I was saying all of this to say that because of all of these things, I actually got so demon conscious that I started having demonic manifestations, dreams, attacks, physical attacks. And I didn't understand, but I was actually empowering the devil to do things like that in my life because I was intimidated. I was fearful of it. And you know what? The Lord just changed my thinking and I began to realize that, hey, I know that demons are real. I know that I deal with them. I know that I have to resist them. But I am never going to be afraid of one again. Man, I'm the one with the power and the authority and I refuse to give in to it. And it's now been, that was in 1967, maybe 1968, and I have never ever, 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 ever had another demonic manifestation since then. Not that they've never come against me and I know that I deal with them, but you know what? I just don't put up with it. Right. Satan will only come at you and do all of these things if you're susceptible to it, if you're fearful, if there is a tendency towards it. And you know what? When I just decided that, hey, I am not taking this stuff and Satan, you can, do, you can shoot your best shot. I don't care what you do. You can't get me a fear, fearful again. It changed. There's a good piece of wisdom in that for somebody in here. If the reason you're being so oppressed and you have so much warfare, it's because you glorify the devil so much. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> you know, I had an instance, I'll just share this with you. I'm sharing testimonies kind of tonight, but, and I probably shared this, but it'll illustrate how, that, man, I just changed my attitude. I'm the one it's got the authority, not the devil. And why be afraid? You know, Smith Wigglesworth one time, I'm sure you heard this story about him going to bed and seeing the motion at the end of his bed and he held his candle up and looked and it was the devil standing there and he says, oh, it's just you and blew out the candle and went to bed. <laughs> Boy, a lot of us would have gotten mad and he'd have jumped up and started screaming and yelling and all this and you know what? That would have been the very reason that the devil was doing things to you is because that's actually a response of fear. My oldest son, Joshua, when he was one year old, fell over and hit his head on the corner of a coffee table, one of those pointed edges, and he hit his head, and a knot rose up, and it started bleeding, and things came out, got into his ear, and it was a bad deal. And anyway, we prayed over it and finally got him over it. The next year, on the exact same day, the same, nothing happened, but that knot came back up, started running and caused the same thing. We dealt with that for 12 years in a row on the exact what all that was but I just can't believe that that's something physical that came up every year to me there was something spiritual 
And Jamie and I dealt with that. We got to where we'd rebuke it. I got to where I'd start fasting and praying before that day so that we could deal with it. And I remember when he was about 12 years old that we were doing something and we saw that knot on his ear. And this time, instead of, let's pray, let's agree, and standing against this thing, you know what I did? I just started laughing. I said, you stupid devil. I am refusing to put up with this again. And I just laughed and said, I don't believe this thing has any power to me. I didn't even pray over it that year, and that's the year that it quit. Amen. Now, am I telling you not to pray over something? No, but I'm saying sometimes when people are standing around and something happens, somebody's getting delivered, I've had people stand around before and go, in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus, and they just start speaking it, and, and you know what that is? It's fear. All you have to do is say, just in the name of Jesus. The devil's not deaf. Amen. Sometimes you are actually releasing fear, some of the religious ways that we respond to things. I was on this airplane one time, and I got on, and this friend of mine, uh, Philip Moore, and I were the last two people on this airplane, and they put us in the back row of this airplane, and Philip was sitting on the aisle, and I was sitting in the middle, and there was this guy next to the window that was a weirdo, and uh, he was wearing one of these green beret hats that flopped over to the side and an army field jacket that had cigarette burns in it, and he had fingernails that were over an inch long, green and yellow junk growing out from under his fingernails. The guy stunk. He had a beard that was down here to about his, you know, belly, but it had big old huge holes out of it. And the thing was, it just was, um, he was a mess. And while we were sitting at the gate, he smoked two cigarettes while we were still sitting at the gate. And uh, this is back when they had loud cigarette smoking on domestic flights. And the stewardess came up to him and told him to put out his cigarette, and he'd just curse her and blaspheme her. And man, he was vile and mad at everybody. And so it was going to be an interesting flight, I could tell. <laughs> So I started talking to this guy and just asking him, you know, what his name was, where he's from. And I asked him, what kind of work do you do? And it was really funny. He goes, work? He said, <laughs> remind me of old Maynard on Dobie Gillis, if any of you ever saw him. He goes, work? He says, why should I work when this government pays you a good living to be on welfare? He says, this old capitalistic society has to have 10% unemployment to make it work. He says, I'm just helping out the system. He says, I get my food out of ditzy dumpsters. I get it out of trash cans. He says, I beg for my food. And on and on he went and he was talking about this so i just started telling him i said look god made you to work and i said it doesn't matter if the government does pay you something i said you are not fulfilling god's purpose for your life god even gave adam and eve sinless people work to do in the garden of eden if you would work you'd be blessed god will bless the work of your hands he can provide for you better than welfare ever could you would have more self-esteem. You'd feel better about yourself. You'd have a sense of accomplishment. I just kept telling him about God and about all these things. And anyway, this guy did not like it. You could tell he didn't like me talking about God. And finally, he just wheeled around, stuck his face right up in my face, and he screamed at me. And he says, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And he gave out this big name that I found out later was a name for Satan. And he was a Satanist high priest under Anton LaVey. And he claimed to be second or third in command or something like that. And anyway, when he turned around and did this, I mean, he was demon-possessed. This guy had hatred, anger, torment coming out of his eyes. And I mean, he was there to intimidate me. But you know what? <laughs> Man, it just rose up on the inside of me like this guy just challenged me. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I mean, I stuck my face right up against his nose against nose, and I said, well, you are speaking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. My God's bigger than your God. Amen. <laughs> And 
And you should have seen what happened. This guy that was so demon-possessed, and I mean anger and fear and the fire coming out of his eyes, he looked at me and he got plastered up against the wall of that airplane and started, I mean, he panicked, started barking like a dog, <laughs> clacking his teeth. He got to doing things. He got so nervous, I just started pouring it on him. I said, man, your God's a loser. I said, what a God you serve. I said, look at you. Smell you. I said, you are the worst representative. I said, who would want to serve your God? Look at the way he treats you. You eat out of garbage cans. Who wants to serve your God? He says, I love my Satan. I'd, I'd die for my Satan. And I said, you have. I said, you're dead. You call this living? I said, you are a walking dead man. And you think that you got something that I would want? I just poured it on him. And man, this guy got so nervous. He, he got to biting on his fingernails, and he pulled that thumbnail out by the roots, just bled all over everything. And he was barking. You should have seen these two little Filipino ladies that were sitting in front of us. They were below the seats, and we saw those eyes come up over the seats. I just kept talking. And you know, we had six, we had six rows of seats in front of us vacate. I don't know where they went. And for an hour and a half, all the way to Phoenix, boy, I just poured it on this guy. And he says, these people that, you know, kill animals and have uh, sacrifices and cut out the hearts of chickens and stuff, he says, that's low witchcraft. He says, I have killed 24 humans. I can curse you and you'll be dead. I've cut out hearts and offered human sacrifices. He says, if I curse you, you'll be dead in 24 hours. And I said, shoot your best shot. I dare you. I said, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2 says, The curse causal shall not come. I said, curse me. See what you can do, big shot. I, it was funny. And then he, he got up and went to the restroom, came back, and he had kind of calmed himself down. He was just whistling and acting like nothing had happened. And then he looked over at me and he says, Nice day, isn't it? And I said, Oh, man, every day is a beautiful day when you got Jesus in your heart. And he just slipped out again. <laughs> Praise God. And when we landed in Phoenix, he was calling up his karma. He was doing this thing and chanting and back and forth. It was something else. And I told him about the love of God, but he didn't want to hear it. And I just decided that, man, if he's going to try and torment me, I'd torment him. But you know what? A lot of Christians would have said, oh, they'd have grabbed Philip's hand and said, oh, brother, let's pray. Man, when something like that happens, it is not time to pray. You need to know who you are, and you need to recognize that, hey, it, that, the devil is nothing but a liar. People come up to me and say, well, the devil said this to me, and they're just crying. I said, well, man, you've already won. If you know it's the devil that said it to you, <laughs> you ain't got nothing to worry about. said, the devil's a liar. He can't do anything. Amen? I tell you, we need to get absolutely 100% convinced, convicted of our authority. We're the ones that have authority not the devil. Let me share some things with you. Turn over here to Ezekiel chapter 28 and let me show some scriptures to you. And I'm going to present something tonight that you can take it as andeology. What, what I mean by that is I've never heard anybody else teach on this and I am not so deceived to think that I'm the only one that ever hears from God. And so I'm going to present something to you that I believe is... Uh, accurate but I like I said I've never had it confirmed and so you can just take this as andeology if you want to the point I'm going to get across 
about Satan's limited dominion and power is accurate. Now, whether everything I share with you is exactly the way the Lord would have it to be, I believe it is, but I'll present it as andeology. You can take it or leave it. Amen. This is not thus saith the Lord. But I believe it's true, and I believe there's some uh, good things for you here. In, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, last night we read out of Isaiah chapter 14, those scriptures uh, mentioned Lucifer and talked about some things, and we were talking about him, uh, you know, being cast into hell. Here in Ezekiel chapter 28 is another instance that most people would ascribe to Satan. It's talking about the prince of Babylon, but it's just like last night when they were talking about the king of Babylon and yet used the name Lucifer and are referring to Satan the same thing is being done here in Ezekiel chapter 28. And so in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre. Excuse me, it's the king of Tyre instead of Babylon. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now see, this is one reason that it's an immediate tip-off that this isn't talking about a physical person because it's talking about him being in Eden and this is thousands of years after the Garden of Eden. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. This is the passage of Scripture that most people use to say that Satan, Lucifer, was a musical angel in charge of all of the music going on in heaven. He was a very uh, um, powerful angel. In verse 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. The word cherub is referring to an angel. Cherubs were talked about in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10. And they were these powerful angels. They are also cherubs are the ones that were placed at the east end of the Garden of Eden to turn people away from the Garden of Eden when men were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So this is talking about thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And most people would believe that this is referring to Satan. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee down to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to the ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee shall know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So again, most people would agree that this is talking about the devil. The point that I'm wanting you to see, there's a lot of things here that we could talk about, but the point I want you to see is in verse 13. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, and he lists all of these stones. And then he goes on and talks about all of these pipes, tablets, everything. He was the anointed cherub. And then after that, it says, your heart was uh, lifted up because of your beauty and you transgressed. Here's a point I'm wanting to get across. According to this scripture, I really believe that Satan, when he was in the Garden of Eden, had not sinned, had not transgressed against God. He was still in his sinless, perfect state. Now, this is contrary to what most people would teach. And again, I'm not here to tell you everybody's wrong, but it doesn't make sense to me 
that God would put Satan down here on earth in the Garden of Eden to provide man with temptation just to make everything fair, amen? To give him a real choice, just turn the devil loose and put the devil in the Garden of Eden and uh, so he could really be tempted and see if he's going to stay honest or not. That just doesn't compute with me. doesn't seem consistent with God's nature. But if Satan was here as the anointed cherub that covered, in other words, what this means is God sent his most powerful, most anointed cherub down here to minister to mankind. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says that all of the uh, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. I believe that Satan was here in the Garden of Eden in the capacity of an angelic being who was here designated by God to serve the needs of Adam and Eve and to be a blessing to them. Now, see, that makes sense to me. That's consistent. And here's another really important truth. Most people theorize, and I say theorize, and I'm sharing some of this as theory because the Scripture doesn't give us all of the answers. And so when the Scripture doesn't give you all the answers, you can't be authoritative and just say that exactly this is the way it is. But most people theorize that where Satan and demons came from is in a pre-Adamic civilization. This was popularized by Phineas Dake. He has that in his Bible, and Phineas Dake put forth this theory, and today most people adhere to that. But they believe that there was a pre-Adamic civilization that lived on the earth, and that this is during the time that the dinosaurs reigned, and that it existed for millions and millions of years before the biblical account of creation. I haven't got time to go into that, but they believe that there's a gap theory in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and they use things like the word replenish and other things, which, again, I could teach on all of those things and answer those questions, but that, I'm not here to debunk anybody else's theory, all right? I'm just saying that most people believe that Satan existed, ruled over the earth, he was an angelic being, and then he sinned before the Genesis 1 account, and that all of the angels who sinned with him were cast out, and that that's where all the demons and demonic powers came from is from this pre-Adamic civilization. And then God recreated the heavens and the earth, man was introduced, and Satan came and attacked them. And that's the way most people understand all of that. Let me share one other passage of Scripture out of Revelation chapter 12. And let me show you how flimsy I believe that that um, theory is. Revelation chapter 12 This is where it talks about the dragon, which it says that the dragon here was Satan and that there was war in heaven. Let's look up in verse 7. It says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world and was cast out upon the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Let's see, it's right here in this chapter somewhere. This is not one of the scriptures I normally teach on. Where does it say that about uh, with the third, with the tail, he drug a third part of the stars? Verse 4. 
says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So this passage of scripture in symbolism says that this serpent who is the devil took a third of the stars and cast them to the earth. And what does that mean? You know, people have interpreted this as this is where Satan took one third of the angels and they rebelled with him and they, they uh, transgressed against God. Now, I, it is symbolic and these scriptures are being used symbolically, but I tell you, it is stretching it for me to base an entire doctrine on that verse that Satan took one third of the angels with him. That's the only mention in scripture that refers to one third of anything. It's the only scripture that talks about uh, angels in rebellion with the devil. Now, in the book of Peter, it does mention that the angels which held not their first estate were cast out. And so it does mention that there was a transgression of angels, plural, instead of just Satan. But the point that I'm making is some of these things that many of us have come to believe that, man, Satan and one-third of the angels rebelled against God and had this big rebellion against God, you can't verify that in Scripture. And to me, it doesn't make sense. Because think about this. If you were the devil and if you had all of the angels, 100% of the angels, would you still fight against God? <laughs> Not me. And even if I was looking at things in the natural realm, I certainly wouldn't fight against God if I only had one-third of the angels and he still had two-thirds of the angels. That's just ignorance gone to seed. That's stupid. That doesn't make sense to me. Why in the world would the devil take one-third of the angels and rebel against God that still had two-thirds of the angels? It just doesn't compute. So let me share. I've set, set all this to set you up and say this. Here's the way that I believe that Satan transgressed against God. Satan's power that he had from God as an angel was a delegated power. It was a power just like an employee of mine. You know, I give an employee of mine power or authority to do certain things, but if that employee just does everything contrary to what I want, I fire him. It is not an unrestricted power and authority. It's a delegated authority and power. As long as they function the way I want them to, they have that power and authority. But when he gave power and authority to mankind, he gave mankind an authority that angels have never had. Angels' power, it, there is no reason to believe that they have an unrestricted, non-conditional power or authority. There's no reason to believe that. But when he gave power and authority to mankind, he gave us an authority that was unrestricted. Look over in uh, Genesis chapter 1 when he created mankind. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. This scripture says that God, when he created man, says, Let them have dominion. The word dominion means rulership. It's like a king. In other words, he gave the earth to us as a kingdom. And he gave us rulership and authority over this earth. Look in Psalms chapter 115. Let me put these two scriptures together. Psalms 115. And in verse 16 it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What's a powerful scripture. The heavens, the heavens of the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to to the children of man. And there's so many other scriptures. I'm going to, for time's sake, just go through these real quickly. But Psalms chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, talks about, you know, what is man that God is mindful of him? 
or the Son of Man, that God has visited him. That made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with honor and glory and power, and put all things under his dominion, all things, the cattle, the creeping things, everything that is put under his dominion. That's reflected and quoted again in Hebrews chapter 2. And there's just a lot of other scriptures in the Word that talk about our dominion and power. And it was an unrestricted, unconditional authority that God gave mankind. He gave us authority over this earth. That's just like, again, going back to an employer situation. If I have an employee and hire them, it's understood that it is not unrestricted. They are, it's delegated power. You mess up, you're fired. But what if I had multiple corporations? And what if I just gave one of my corporations to a person? Or let me take an example most of us can relate to. What if I had a car? And if I gave you my car because I wanted to bless you and I wanted you to have transportation, but I give it to you, I sign it over, I sign the title and I give it to you, it becomes your car. I wanted you to use it, but what if you took that thing and parked it out here and sold, you know, hits with a sledgehammer for $10 and if that's the way that you used it, that's not what I intended. But if I truly gave it to you, I haven't got the authority or the right to come back and say, I'm taking this car back. You could say, wait a minute. I've got a title right here. It's my car. I can do with this car what I want to. You gave it to me. And you know what? I would have to be unholy, unrighteous, unjust to take it back. That's the kind of authority that God gave mankind. He gave mankind, people that have physical human bodies, authority in this earth. And I believe that this is why the transgression of Satan took place in the Garden of Eden. Because see, Satan's, his, his power, he couldn't use God's power that was given to him against God he would have immediately ceased to function. It was a delegated power. He couldn't have done anything against God. But what he did, he saw mankind as having an authority, a power that may not have been as great as far as being able to do superhuman, supernatural things like an angel has the ability to do some things that we don't. But mankind's authority and power was unrestricted. It was unconditional. And in that sense, it was infinitely superior to anything Satan had. And so Satan saw his opportunity to rebel at God by, if he could get man to yield unto him. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, even though Romans 6 wasn't written yet, the scripture says that the word of God is forever settled, and it was truth, and the nature of God was the same even before the word was recorded. And so... Satan knew that that was a principle of God, that if he could get us to yield unto him and to obey him, we gave our God-given power and authority to rule and reign to him. And he could take human, mankind's power that we yield unto him, and he could wreak havoc and have his own kingdom and dominion, and even though God owned everything, God is the owner. And there's scriptures like Psalm chapter 19 that says the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork, and it says that everything belongs unto God, God is the possessor. Those statements are true, but it's true in the sense that he's the owner. But the management, the administration of the earth was given unto man. Psalms 115, 16 says, The heavens of, the, of heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the sons of man. God committed authority to rule and reign in this earth to physical human beings. And so... If God, as owner, wanted to come and say, I am displeased with what you've done, and if he wanted to wipe out the devil, he would have had to have also wiped out Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve cooperated and voluntarily gave that dominion and power unto mankind. And I believe that Satan was 
was uh, taking a risk that God loved mankind too much to destroy him. And Satan, in a sense, used man like an umbrella, a shield, a hostage to come before God and say, God, they gave this to me by right. If you're going to touch me, you've got to touch man. And that's the way that he shielded himself. And that's the only way that he could have ever successfully have done anything against God. Everybody follow that logic? And because that's true, then that put the Lord in a position. Because it says in Psalms chapter 39, 89, verse 34, it said the Lord was speaking and he says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. See, if we would have created mankind, if we would have been God, and if we would have done something, and then they would have done something contrary to what we wanted, we'd have just said, whoops, King's X, time's out. I never intended this. Hold it. We're changing the rules. You can't do this. But see, God, when he says something, it becomes a covenant. He can't alter the thing that comes out of his lips. God doesn't say, whoops, this is not what I intended. We're going to change. That God's not like that. So God had to abide by his own rules. And his rules were that physical... Human beings had authority to rule and reign. Now, a spirit, Satan, who did not have a physical body, came and began to start taking that power and authority because man was yielding unto him. But Satan was totally dependent upon mankind, continuing to submit unto him to be able to rule and reign. This is the reason that, for instance, in seances, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, spirits can do things. I've seen them levitate tables. And here I was giving stories about, you know, Satan attacking me and physical manifestations. And some people think that, well, Satan can just do things. He doesn't always have to have a physical person. That's not true. Satan has to have a physical body to function through. And that's the reason that these demons that came out of the man named Legion besought the Lord to go into this herd of swine. They have to have a body to inhabit. And even in a seance where something levitates or floats, did you know that they're always, always, has to be a physical human being who is the medium that channels that spirit through them. A demon spirit has zip, zero, zilch, power, and authority because they don't have a physical body. They have no power to do anything. Physical human beings are the ones with the power. And what Satan does, he, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, says that we have to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan comes and portrays himself as this spiritual power that's going to overpower you and do these things in and he glorifies himself in these movies and things that talk about all this demonic stuff. But the truth is, Satan is 100% zero powerless to do anything. All he's doing is through your actions, you empower the devil through your words and through your actions. That's the reason it's so important that you not yield unto Satan in any area. It's the reason that you don't speak forth your things. Satan is limited to having to flow through a physical body. We're the ones that have the authority and power, not the devil. Satan is drawing his power from mankind. Now, this, since we've now got millions and millions, billions of people here on the earth, and uh, since many, most of them, are submitted to the devil, it really doesn't matter if you walk 100% right, Satan still can do some things in your life because he's got a lot of different people that he can draw power from and use their negativism to affect you. So it can influence you, it can impact you, but you, he can't totally overcome you unless you submit. You might have an attack come against you, people can put curses on you, but the Bible says, Proverbs 26, 2, the curse causeless shall not come. Satan has to flow through a physical human body. But on the other hand, it says in, the, in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And God cannot intervene in this physical earth except through a physical body either. 
There's some people think God can just do anything. That's not so. God abides by his own laws. There are spiritual laws just the same as there are natural laws. There are natural reasons why things happen. There are reasons why things happen in the spiritual. And I know a lot of people that just say, well, if God's really God, why did he let this person die? Why has God let these things happen? I know that maybe there's problems, but God is God. He can do anything. No, God has laws. God established laws. And what's God going to do? Break all of his laws and let the universe self-destruct, become a liar, become inconsistent, unfaithful to his own word just so he can intervene and help you? I mean, God created gravity. It's a law. He created it for your good. You're sitting in that chair tonight. You aren't holding on. You aren't nailed to the floor. You aren't even thinking about it. Gravity was intended to be a good thing. But you know what? Gravity can kill you. And what happens if you start to fall off a building? Is it God looking at you and saying, I'll teach you? And so he just has gravity kill you? No, it's not God personally against you. It's just the law that he established. But you know what? What Somebody says, well, I believe if he's God, he could have done something different. What's he going to do? Suspend gravity and let a million people die in car wrecks and everything else that that would cause just to save you? That's not the way. God is, God is a God of order. It's unbelievable to think that a God who created such detail, such order in this universe is himself haphazard and you never know what God's going to do. There are spiritual laws. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, the scripture there says that you're saved not by works, but by the law of faith. A law of faith. There are spiritual laws. There are reasons why people die. God doesn't want you dead, but he has ordained healing. He's already provided it. There's laws that have provided it. And he says that if you would believe, you would receive. If you doubt, you do without. Those are spiritual laws. And if you're operating in doubt, it's not God that just says, all right, you aren't good enough, I'm going to let you die. No, God's pulling for you and say, believe. He's sending laborers across your path that are speaking the truth to you. Man, we're having this camp meeting. I'm giving everything I got, trying to help you and turn your thinking. God's reaching out to you, but ultimately, if you continue in unbelief, you'll die and be deader than a hammer because of spiritual laws that God established. He doesn't just violate His Word and say, well... Ah, they aren't believing, but they really tried. <laughs> Heal them. It's not the way it works. So God himself obeys his spiritual laws. And one of those laws is that physical human beings have authority in this earth. Spirits don't. He gave control, dominion to physical human beings. And guess what? This explains why it took 4,000 years after the fall of Adam Adam for the Lord Jesus to be born. See, I ask questions when I read the Scripture. You'd be amazed what you could get out of the Bible if you thought when you read it. (laughs) But I used to ask questions like, God, why did you wait 4,000 years after sin entered the world to send Jesus? Why didn't you send him right away? Why did you wait 2,000 years to communicate the law to Adam? I mean, to Moses. You were talking face-to-face to Adam. That was normal to talk to people face-to-face back then. 2,000 years later, Moses was the exception rather than the rule. Why didn't you give the law at the very first? I used to ask questions like this. You know, the Lord told me that it was because, see, mankind, he created the physical body, first of all, by words. He spoke everything into existence. He says, let us make man in our image. God said it and it came to pass. Let there be light and there was light. Let the earth bring forth. God spoke everything into existence. But after he created man and after he ended his work and after man blew it, he had to have a new man. 
He had to have a man that had, you know, boy, I'm trying to say some things fast. There, there's more to this than what I can ever get out. I pray you'll think about this. I'm giving you enough to meditate on for years if you're listening. This is the reason Jesus had to have a physical body. Because only people with physical bodies could take back the dominion that man lost by yielding it to the devil. He had to have a physical body, but it couldn't be a sinful body that was already corrupt and under the dominion of the devil. It had to be another body that once again had this God-given authority and power given to it instead of the corrupted nature of mankind. So he had to have a virgin birth. But how did he bring it to pass? He had to speak it into existence. And the problem was God was no longer directly... dominating and controlling the earth. He had given that dominion to physical people and man had blown it. So what God had to do was speak to us in our heart, in our spirit. And then we, physical human beings, had to speak forth God's Word. God had to speak the creation of Jesus into existence through physical human beings. And the drawback was that there was no physical human being who was so in tune to God that he could speak everything that needed to be said. So it took God 4,000 years to find Noah over here and Abraham over here and Moses over here and Isaiah and all of these different people and they had to all get their little bit and their little piece like a piece of the puzzle and they had to speak it under the anointing of the Lord and speak those words into existence. And then... The angel Gabriel came and appeared to Mary and told her that she would conceive and she humbled herself and said, So be it unto me according to thy word. You know what she did? You know what this angel did? He basically took all of the prophecies, the little bits and pieces that God had been speaking for 4,000 years through people. And this angel gathered all of the word up and came to Mary and said, Mary, here's what the plan is. And she humbled herself and said, So be it unto me according to thy word. And then it says in First Peter chapter or Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty three, it says that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. God's word is a seed. That word in the Greek there is sperma. God's word was literally the sperm. The virgin birth of Jesus was 100% natural in every respect except that instead of a man providing the seed, God's Word was the seed. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and the words that had been spoken under the anointing of the Lord for 4,000 years entered into that woman's womb and she conceived. Everything else about the birth of Jesus was 100% natural. And that's the reason that the Bible says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is called the Word because God literally spoke Jesus into existence through people. Some people wonder, well, why did God go to all of this expense? It's because of this whole authority issue. God could not just come down and say, hey, I don't like the way things are going. Forget this. I'm sending Jesus. (laughs) He couldn't do it. He had to create Jesus and he had to speak it through people and it took 4,000 years and then this angel came and brought the Word and when Jesus became flesh, Boy, the devil was in big trouble. Because that had been his shield against the judgment of God this whole time was hiding behind mankind and saying, God, they yielded to me. It was their choice. They did it knowing. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's verse 15, it says that Eve was deceived. She didn't know what was happening. But Adam was not deceived and he was the one in the transgression. Adam was the one that had the authority originally And Adam knew exactly what was transpiring, but because of his love for his wife, 
he yielded and went with his wife instead of with God. So he willfully gave the dominion, the God-given dominion to Satan. And Satan had used them like a hostage, a shield, to hold God at bay. But now Jesus became flesh. And man, that's the reason he had to become flesh. I tell you, if you study the Word, everything fits perfectly. There are reasons. God didn't just pick... I used to say, God, wasn't there some other way you could have redeemed mankind than sending your own son? No, there wasn't. God, because of His holiness and His justice, could not have done it any other way. He had to become flesh. And the Scripture says that He searched and looked for a man and He marveled that there was no intercessor. There was no man that could do it because we were all corrupted. So He had to become this sacrifice. And He took our sins upon Himself and Satan, in his stupidity, thought that he had beat the Lord. And it says this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says that if they had understood the plan of God, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Because then, they really blew it. It was bad enough for Jesus to be on the earth, operating as a sinless man under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But when, they, when Satan killed him, and God judged him for the sins of the whole world, Satan took him to hell... I guarantee you Satan was in big trouble because here he had God Almighty in the flesh, in a physical body, in hell. And boy, Jesus renovated hell. He destroyed hell. He beat Satan. He destroyed everything. And when he rose from the dead, he said, All authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. See, before God had authority in heaven, but He didn't have authority in the earth. He had given that authority to mankind, and that's the reason that things have gone the way that they've gone. And these people that believe, well, nothing can happen but what God allows it, they're missing the whole deal of authority. They don't understand that God committed authority to physical human beings. So when Jesus rose from the dead, He had all authority in heaven and in earth and in hell given unto Him. And then He turned right around and He says, Go ye therefore, and He gave and shared that authority with us. But there's a difference between the authority that we have and what Adam had. Adam was given an unconditional authority. But see, ours is a shared authority. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that we are joint heirs with Jesus. If you have a joint checking account, it means it's not one person or the other signing the check. You have to have both parties sign the check to be able to cash it. God put Jesus and His body in a joint heirship to all authority in heaven and earth and hell. Jesus will never fail. And even though individual members of the body of Christ may fail, there's always going to be somebody in the body of Christ who's cooperating with God, and God in one person is a majority. It'll never again pass. You might blow it in your own life and totally miss out, but the power is secure now because we have a joint heirship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you, this really answers some things. But see, God gave you authority and power. Many of us are praying and saying, Oh, God, we're asking you to heal this person. The Lord isn't healing people today. He's already destroyed sickness and disease, and He has committed that power and authority to His body. He said, You have power over all sickness, over all disease, over all demons to cast them out. And if you don't take your authority and exercise it, people aren't going to get healed. You can pray and plead with God until you are blue in the face asking God to heal and people will not get healed until some physical human being stands up and takes authority and commands that sickness and disease to leave. There's people that pray and say, Oh God, please get the devil off my back. He said, You resist the devil and he will flee from you. What part of you do you not understand? It says, He will flee from you. He doesn't flee directly from God. 
Now, don't misunderstand me here. I am not saying that you, in your natural self, have this power. A natural human being, if he resists the devil and doesn't yield himself, he can greatly limit Satan's influence, but ultimately he's still going to lose the war because he's spiritually dead. But you, as a born-again believer, not only have the natural power and ability, the authority that was given to mankind, but now we are joint heirs with Jesus. We have authority in heaven and in earth. Our authority now is superior to angels. It's superior to anything else. And when you stand there and when you exercise your power, it's not your human power, it's your supernatural God-given power through the new birth that is flowing. But it is dependent upon you to learn your authority and you to exercise it. If you're crying out to God and just waiting on God to deliver you, not understanding that He's put the power within you, nothing will happen. Boy, that's awesome. You know, I believe that it was God's will to heal and to deliver people long before I ever saw people healed or delivered. Because I didn't take that authority and I was fearful. Saying, what happens if I speak to somebody, lay hands on them and pray for them and if they die? And my fear kept me from exercising my authority. And finally, I just got so desperate that I just said, I don't care. I'm a failure anyway. If I'm not believing God, I'm already a failure. So who cares what anybody thinks? And I started speaking to people. And I started commanding healing to happen and taking authority. And you know what? Miracles started happening. People started being raised from the dead and blind eyes started being on. Just a couple of months ago, I was in uh, the UK in, in uh, Wexford, Ireland. And we had a service there where everybody there was just about Catholics. And those people, Catholicism over there isn't like this. Even though I'm not advocating Catholicism in the U.S., I'm saying in foreign countries, it's actually a pagan religion. It's demonic. And these people had never heard the gospel, had never been exposed to it. And uh, anyway, it's a long story, but I was calling out different healings. I saw a man who was paralyzed from a stroke, instantly healed, and he started dancing. And then we had people come up who were deaf, and I started praying for them. And then these two blind girls came up. They were sisters, and both of them were blind. And I prayed for them and commanded these eyes to open up. And God opened up their eyes supernaturally. And they stood up there and started looking at the back of the auditorium and recognizing people and telling me who was back there and all these things. And it was miraculous. And, you know, it happened because we took authority and commanded these things to happen. I didn't used to see those kind of things happen because I never took authority. And yet I believed it could happen. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and I spent six months praying every day for him to be healed. I believed God could heal. I didn't doubt it one bit. But it was always in the asking position instead of believing that it was done and saying, hey, I've got authority in this issue, and I refuse to allow this to happen. It wasn't like that. It was a passive thing of asking. You know what I'm saying right here really divides the sheep from the goats. Because, boy, when you start doing this, it's, no, it's fashionable. It's fashionable to say, I believe God can heal. Anybody can say that. And if you don't get healed, you say, well, God works in mysterious ways. You never know what God's going to do. There's no, there's no way you can fail. Man, if the person gets healed, then you say, I told you I believe God could heal. And if they die, you say, well, you never know what God's going to do. <laughs> But when you start talking about that God has given us power and authority, then if you stand up and make bold proclamations, you're liable to have to eat your words and have to say, I missed it or I failed. And most people aren't willing to do that. Authority carries responsibility. If you're in a job 
And if you've got authority, if you've got power, it also means that if something goes wrong, you've got responsibility. And most there's a lot of people that wouldn't take a management position because you don't want the responsibility. You would love the authority and the perks and the salary and the things that go along with it, but you don't want that responsibility. You'd rather be able to just go home and sleep and forget it. Well, that's the way most of Christianity is. Most of Christianity isn't wanting to take responsibility, authority over anything. Instead, let's just pray and wish and hope and pray and see what God's going to do. I was actually in a church one time where the guy said, well, let's pray for this person. You never know, God might heal him. Boy, you can't lose in a deal like that. But when you start understanding authority, you know what it does? It puts responsibility on you. And there needs to be some some uh, qualifications on this because I'm not going to take responsibility for your healing because you have to believe. And I'll be teaching some of these things. There has to be cooperation. I can't go in and empty a hospital. I tried it when I first started understanding these things. And I literally had a person with a crutch in a wheelchair beat me and drive me out of their room hitting me with this wheelchair, I mean with this crutch, saying, God wants me sick. God made me this way. I'm glorifying God. It takes cooperation on the person's part who's receiving. So I'm not going to take total responsibility for your healing because you have to cooperate. There are some restrictions and qualifications. But when it comes to me, I can guarantee you that if I'm sick, it's because of me. Now, it may not be something that I've done such as sin. I may not have gone out and have sowed seed for it and have caused it, but Satan just attacked me, and if I don't overcome, it's because some way or another my mind wasn't renewed and I didn't have the faith to stand and believe. But ultimately, it's not God's fault. And even though Satan is the one that accomplished it, he only accomplished it because I wasn't as strong as I needed to be. If I knew the Word and if I hadn't wavered, I'd have walked in hell. Amen? I've been healed for, I think it's 27 years since I've taken an aspirin, since I've had a headache. I've had some sicknesses come at me, but I mean, they just, like, like I've had some symptoms of the flu in the last year came on me, but it, I was making radio programs when it happened. I just look at it as an attack of the devil. And I just shut off the equipment and sat there and for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, I prayed in tongues and rebuked the devil and it was totally gone. So the flu lasted for an hour and a half. Now I'm not saying I'm immune and I'm perfect. I hadn't arrived, but praise God, I've left. It's been 26 years. Praise God. It's been 26 years since I have been sick. I've had sickness fight me, but it's been 26 years since it's won. And I have not had an aspirin. I've had no medication. I've had nothing. And if you heard next month that I died of sickness, would that mean that I was a liar and that God's Word didn't work? No, it'd mean that I missed it. Which, there's no disgrace in that. Catherine Kuhlman died sick. And people say, well, why did that happen? Must have been God's will. No, I believe, I could tell you, that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to get into that. I can tell you why Catherine Kuhlman died sick. But is that to discredit her and say something's wrong with her? No, this woman was powerfully, mildly used to God. She missed it in an area. Does that make her a failure? No. That's like a soldier that's been fighting for years and has just done a wonderful job and then one time gets lax and gets shot in the back. Does that mean that he's a traitor or he's, doesn't, does he lose all of his honors? No. Man, we're in a warfare, and so what? If the devil killed me, it didn't mean that God failed. It didn't mean the Word didn't work. It means that I failed. Amen? It's no big deal. 
Well, brother, I'd never admit that I'd fail. That's the reason you hadn't taken any authority yet, because you're afraid of failure. Man, I'd rather shoot at the stars and hit the moon than shoot at nothing and hit it every time. There's some of you that the reason you don't have any ambition and you aren't taking any authority and you aren't making any statements is because you're so afraid that you might fail. And what you're missing is that you're a failure already. If you aren't standing in the anointing of God, if you aren't taking His authority and power, you are a first-class failure. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Well, I'm telling you things that will help you. It's not God's turn. God, move! God, save this city! The Lord already died for him. He's already provided everything. It's not God's turn. It's your turn to take the gospel and go tell them the gospel and see this place turned around. Doesn't that make it simple? It is so important. Your physical body is giving you authority and power. Jesus purchased it all, but it's for people with physical bodies. That's the reason actions are so important. Man, when you say, oh, I believe that I'm healed of God, but you're laying in bed, popping pills, letting your wife rub your fevered brow and watching as the stomach turns on the television, and you're saying, I'm just healed by the stripes of Jesus. Do you know what? Your actions are negating your words. Boy, your body is powerful. And you need to use your body like a weapon against the devil. Because your actions release either God's power or release the devil's power. Man, when you're sick and don't feel like getting up, that's when you need to be up. That's when you need to be resisting it. Man, when I first got turned on to healing, you know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe verse 35, 37 around there, it says that once you're enlightened, you endure a great fight of afflictions. That means the devil just throws everything he's got at you. When I first got turned on to healing, I hadn't been sick to speak of in my life, and all of a sudden, I mean for six months, I was sick nearly every day. And I struggled and struggled and struggled, and finally I was teaching a Bible study on the subject of healing. And here I was, my nose running, I couldn't talk without blowing my nose, and my eyes were all watery and everything, and I was preaching, it's God's will to heal every time. And the devil was just on my case, and I finally came to a decision, I don't care if I can live it or not, I'm going to preach it because it's the truth. And something happened, it broke then, and I began to start seeing results. But during that period of time, I was so sick one time that I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't stand straight up. I hurt so bad, I was doubled over, I was in terrible pain. And I wanted to lay in bed, but see, I was beginning to understand that, hey, I will not act sick. I'm not going to talk it, and I won't act, and I'm going to use my body to act well. And I wasn't going to lay in bed and act sick. So I got out of bed, but I was so sick, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't, so I had to get on the floor. And I was so sleepy, I hadn't slept in a long time, I had to keep moving to keep from falling asleep. So get the picture of this. Here I am, during the middle of the night, got my Bible on the floor on my hands and knees, and to stay awake, I'm pushing it with my nose around that floor, crawling the best I can, going, by his stripes, I am healed, by his stripes. And I must have said it a thousand times if I said it once. And people wonder, how do you know so many scriptures? You know, I live them. Nobody has to tell me. Now, let's see, what does Isaiah 53, 5 say? I lived it. That night, it became a part of me. And you know what? I've never had to say, now, where was that scripture? What was that? I don't memorize scripture. I live them. 
And I sat there and with my body fought that thing with my body and I overcame it. Some people say, well, I don't believe you have to do that. You don't. It was just because I was so dead. I was so spiritually dead that that's what it took to get me motivated and to overcome my unbelief. And now I don't have to do that. I don't go through a big thing. I walk in healing and like I said, an hour and a half, flu's over. But you know, when I started, that's the way it had to be for me. You may not have to do that, but that's the way I did it. You did it? There's a lot of people that have done it. There's some like, well, I'd never do that. I'd just go take a pill and get it over with. That's the reason you're sick, and I'm not. It's like a muscle. I was trying to get Linus to go running today. We went and took this blood pressure test. He was in bad shape. And I was telling, hey, forget it, I'm preaching. <laughs> my turn, my turn. And anyway, I was telling him, I said, I got a vested interest in you. You can't get poor on me. You got to get in shape. I'm paying you. And so um, anyway, he said, man, if I went running, I couldn't even make it to the end of the driveway. Well, you might not. It might be hard the first time, but you know what? If you do it, then the next time you go a little bit further... You have to exercise yourself unto godliness. And some of you think, well, I could have taken a bear and it has a higher level of pain relief. I would have already been over this thing an hour ago. Well, that may be true, but you know what? Your spiritual muscle is just atrophying while you're dependent on something else. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start believing God. And it may be that aspirin would get you quicker relief, but you know what? You're never going to develop your spiritual muscles if you don't start using them. If you can't believe for a headache, you won't make it when cancer strikes. I'm not saying you can't. What will happen is you'll have to go get Dean or somebody else who's exercised their muscles to release their faith for you because you won't be able to get it off your own. Sooner or later, you've got to start believing God. And the whole thing that... One of the major things that has really helped me is this authority issue, understanding how powerful it is that it actually delayed the plan of God 4,000 years because God won't break it. Satan cannot break it. You are the one that has power and authority over your life. And if you learn that secret and begin to start exercising your authority and power, I guarantee you the devil is in big trouble. You're the one that has power and authority. Satan's only power. You're the one that empowers him. It's the only way he can dominate you. Oh, that's good news. There's a lot of things that need to be answered. All I did was stir you up tonight. The rest of the week, we're going to try and explain this and hopefully give you enough wisdom that you won't go out and make yourself obnoxious. Amen. So don't, don't just take this and leave and go and terrorize the church. You're supposed to terrorize the devil. Amen. 